The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash on education. Weapon of, <laughs> weapon of choice, MS Paint. No. <laughs> big, big big red, red marks. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss what are the best ways to teach face-to-face and virtually at the same time whether Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross were some of the greatest teachers of all time. And our guest this week is author and professor Liz Kolb. I love Bob Ross. I know. He, like I said off air, he's so, it's so mesmerizing now. I, we have mm-hmm. our kids like hooked on it too. It's, it's actually, if you were going to watch something, you know, with your family or whatever it might be, to kind of calm everyone down before you yes. go to bed, you know, before uh-huh. you go to bed, this it, that's it, and, and then that's we actually go- exactly why I watch it. Oh, and, and in the context that I watch it in, yeah. I always, I'm always, almost always watching it later at night. Yep, just to kind of relax, calm down. That's exactly yeah. when I watch it. Now, I am like the least calm person <laughs> in the world, <laughs> so you can. I watch a lot of Bob Ross. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> So he's help it's helping out though. And we're always I mean, amazed. I guess so. <laughs> we're always <laughs> helps as much as it can. Yeah. We're always amazed at the end, Mike though. Like the beginning of the thing is this palette or you know, it's usually white or whatever, one solid color. And then Liquid at clear. the end at the end you're just like, My God, how the hell did you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's like here, here, blah blah blah, you know, and he doesn't it's not most of the time he is giving he's he's giving the uh the audience permission to do their own thing too. So it's yeah. not like he's very super technical or whatever it might be. He's just talking it through, whatever it might be. Oh God. They're amazing. Painting happy little trees. Yes. <laughs> so great. So great. Yeah. Um friends, we need your help. Yes. Um we are trying to get the attention of Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, we want to talk Hamilton on the podcast. We want to talk about Hamilton in educational context on the podcast. Um, and we want to talk to Lynn Manuel Miranda, uh, which is a very hard get, obviously. <laughs> yes. um, so listen, if anyone's listening and has any sort of like, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy sort of thing, you know, Help us out. Hook us up yeah. with that. Um, and, uh, you know, if you see us tweeting uh, about it, uh, please retweet those tweets so that he gets, uh, so we, we're we going to try to get his attention or someone's attention. Um, we're going to try to go through like the normal ways you, you have people on podcasts, like PR people and publicists and stuff like that. But, you know, but we can get we're some just, help. We just need some help, friends. <laughs> Uh, we have I have a target list. That's that's just one of them. That's the biggest right. one. Give us some um, more on the target list. Yeah, I would love <laughs> to talk to Chastin Buttigieg. Yes, um, that's that is the that is uh, someone I've actually wanted to talk about for for Glenn would know for at least a year mm-hmm. um, since since we kind of met him um, since the world met him. You know when when Mayor Pete ran for president. Um, Ch- so Chastin is uh, Pete Buttigieg's husband mm-hmm. um and he was a teacher i think still is a teacher and just is. wrote a book so the book is not even out yet i don't think so it's like perfect timing we love it come on a podcast <laughs> so um we're also um i'm actually i actually might know a guy who knows a guy for chastin Buttigieg, believe it or not mm. so um I'm, I'm working like multiple angles on that one um, but if 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 you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy or girl, you know whatever, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, let us know because that's another one. Um, 
you know, we've we've done like the other stuff that you know the other long shots like um, send a we sent a message to the Biden press team to see if you know we can get Joe Biden on the podcast. That's not going to happen, but you know people can dream. <laughs> can always dream. Um, we we tried to get Amy Klobuchar on. Um, we, we can still try. You guys know somebody. There's a lot of Minnesota listeners here. We have There's a lot of Minnesota be someone listeners. who knows somebody. Someone who knows the senator we, we from Minnesota. I mean, how could there not be? I would be actually stunned if someone does not know someone in the office of, in the, like a local office for Amy Klobuchar. Mm -hmm. So come on people. Let's, let's get it together. Let's, (laughs) let's do this for the team. Let's Um, do it. (laughs) So, um, we are, um, about to start school in Southern Ontario. Um, the first day of school is tomorrow. Mm. Today is Labor Day Monday. So, um school starts for a lot of kids tomorrow my son isaac is in grade seven um starts uh class on thursday they were doing a bit of a staggered start mm-hmm. um jacob uh, starts kindergarten this weekend cheryl's back at work tomorrow so that's everyone. how we are she actually though she did get um she did lose her her kindergarten slot because they did what we thought they were going to do they collapsed classes all oh, no. across the all across the province. So she she's not teaching kindergarten this year. She's teaching special ed, and uh, oh my goodness, and planning time. Uh, which yeah, I mean, she's a twelve year kindergarten teacher. Uh, so I mean, it's it's That's a little bit of a weird insane. experience, but you know, yes. Um, you know, looking trying to look at it as an opportunity because sure. I I think I think it should be viewed that way, especially because it aligns with some of her more recent interests. So. Um, thinking of it as an opportunity. But we came across a really interesting resource um, t- earlier today that was so good that I just wanted to make sure it was in the show notes sure. for today. Um, uh, this uh, this group called Responsive Classroom um, has written um, guidebooks, for lack of better words, 10 days of morning meetings to start the school year um, in like the context of being like culturally responsive, mm-hmm. um, talking social justice, but also talking coronavirus and just how we're all kind of in this together. And yes. they're they're made for each grade. So you can go to the website. We're going to link it in mm. the show notes. And there's a whole list. Heck and you yeah. can choose kind of which age range of kids you teach. And there are 10, um, you know, as they get older, they get more um, complex. Um, and they're, they're kind of their tone is different. Um, but there's this whole bunch of like COVID-19 resources, uh, made by this group, responsiveclassroom.org, um, that, uh, are, are pretty impressive. Um, and, and I was, I was shocked at, at how well put together they were. Um, so check that out. It's in the show notes. It's really important too. And, and really, I, I don't know if I, hopefully districts are doing a good job of, helping their teachers out as far as how do you approach the beginning of this year? What's, how do you begin the conversations? You know, uh, we left last March. How do you, how do you get back, um, into this and, and, and then do it in a, in a, in a way that really takes into account what's actually happened, which is a lot. And like we have said on the podcast, the students know what's happened. So trying to ignore it and just moving on to, just content or whatever it might be, you know, kind of passing over it. Yeah. Probably not the best thing to do, but a lot of people don't know how to approach it. So resources like this are fantastic for getting those conversations started in a responsible way and being able to go ahead and have, have those dialogues and have it begin the year as far as then building that climate within your classroom and that relationship so that the students know you are the person that can have those conversations and you are willing to go ahead and, and do that. So really, really important. And we'll keep passing along any resources as we start getting them. So talking about resources, yes. there's a lot of you out there who are going to have to start the year as many uh, teachers are, are doing it right now already, um, teaching both distance, so virtual students, so yeah. online learning, and students that are stand, are sitting in front of you also at the same time. And that's a really complex environment. I mean, just to say the least, (laughs) I mean, um, 
And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, we're going to provide another resource or a link to a Twitter feed um, uh, by Jennifer Gonzalez because she's amazing. And she put out basically the question out there and said, hey, this is a really unique situation. Um, uh, Let's pull some ideas of how do we do this the best. And what's amazing about this thread as far as on Twitter is that it provides a lot of great ideas, resources. Uh, people are sharing their things. Um, and it also starts that conversation too, uh, Mike, that um, some of them, I would say it's about 50-50 right now, that are talking about pedagogy, pedagogical stuff. And it fits perfectly into that interview that we had with Liz Kolb. And some people are giving technology solutions. And we kind of need both. We do need both. We need some solutions, obviously, and we should already have them in place. (laughs) I would hope that by day one, starting tomorrow, that we have some things actually in place, whether it be Zoom or Google Meet, whatever it is, how you're actually going to do it with the technology. But then you need to know how you're going to do it, do the the teaching part in a really, uh, in in a great way as far as the pedagogy is concerned, as far as the teaching component is concerned. Um, and so there's a lot of ideas that are being shared in the thread yeah. on both of those ends. So I actually yeah. found it fascinating that there were some answers like, hey, people are using swivel cameras. And right. then there was someone that talking about, hey, here, here are some advice, you know, talking about chunking the lessons, breaking them down, keep it simple for the students, make sure that you give clear directions, do these things, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So uh, it's an interesting combination of the two important aspects but a lot of time we hyper focus on those tools. Yeah, I'll be honest. We have to be done talking about tools. Yeah, like we we gotta. It's it's twenty twenty. <laughs> you know, let's move on from like I. It's funny um, when you when you pull up a tweet, um, it brings up like a couple responses, and I'm not sure if it's randomized or not, or if anyone everyone sees the same responses when they click on it as I do. But yeah. it's funny that I'm looking at uh, the the first response of the ones that I'm seeing is like a pretty weak, you know, here's some tools to use yeah. type of response, and the the bottom one is a great answer. Mm about centering the students in that experience yes and it's just like you're getting a mixed bag with these things yeah please stop thinking about tools we know what exists you know like i don't know how many years you have to go to conferences and and just you know we know what exists let's Mm -hmm. start talking about the experience because you know in the end that's what actually matters here and um so it is it is there's tons of responses 350 mm-hmm. over 350 responses at the time of we uh, uh you know that we're recording here um but that's not all that was on on Twitter this week you know the nonsense was rampant <laughs> as well as you would expect um and this I'll tell you I'll tell you this conversation is so dumb <laughs> That it's, that it, like it's another I'm just, one of those. I'm just I I completely ignored it. I didn't even I didn't weigh in. I didn't jump into it. I didn't even respond to like our DM conversation about it really in our in our group chat. It's just because I'm just done with this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So there's a there's a uh, I don't want to call it a meme because it's not. It's not meant to be funny. Um, it, it let's just call it an infographic. <laughs> let's call it an infographic. Um, and the graphic has um, Lavar Burton of Reading Rainbow, but m- more famously, Jordy LaForge, Lord uh, Jordy LaForge of uh, of the Enterprise, uh, <laughs> Bob Ross, uh, Mister Rogers, of course, because there's some some of these that exist just with Mister Rogers. I've seen some of those where he's like yeah. sitting on his chair. And it says this exact same statement. And this one has Steve Irwin, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, and and then and and this says some of the greatest teachers of all time taught virtually. That's the 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 headline, the the splash graphic there. Um, and it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, but there's like a movement. It was first of all, there's it's it, this has been shared and and versions of this have been shared through Facebook and Twitter and whatever it might be. And a lot of people 
uh, have obviously fond feelings for these TV personalities um, of their childhood. And and some of us still have those <laughs> fond feelings of like, you know, Bob Ross. Actually, you I know, have, all I of have these Bob guys. Ross figurines, for yeah. God's sake. I love Bob Ross. Yes, yes. We still have fond feelings. And and we and some people like to share those, you know, share this as, yeah, they were great teachers of my childhood. You know, we grew up in a time, Mike, um, and, and you're around my age. I mean, you're younger, a little bit younger than me, or quite a bit younger than Thank me. Thank you. Um, but we grew up in an age where where we came home and we turned on the TV, you know. Yeah. And then there was yeah. a limited number of, you know, some of us didn't. Ha- most of us didn't have cable. I mean, some people did, most people didn't. We turned it on and we had a few channels that you could see. Yeah. And then Saturdays there were specific cartoons that came on. In the afternoons there were specific shows that were on. Depending yeah. upon your age range, you you gravitated towards certain things. Mr. Rogers obviously is one. Things like Sesame Street, uh, Reading Rainbow, Bob Ross is interesting because I think it is, it it is not only it's like a kid thing. It's just many adults in that era were were positively affected by his amazing not only talent but his his way of being. You know, Bob um, Ross is also more popular now than he ever was. It probably, I would say so. Absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. And then Steve Irwin, someone more recent, I would say. It's interesting that he's in this too. Um, But, you know, we found all of these people to be endearing at at minimum, you know. Um, Were they some of the greatest virtual teachers of all time? I guess that's that's my first question. Number two, someone actually went out, made another graphic and just crossed it out and just said, this is the nicest way I could say about how I feel about this awful meme, you know, as far as they put it on there, because they hate this this uh, discussion about having Mr. Rogers or whoever else might be. Um, were they great teachers? Were they great virtual teachers? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know if they were. I I know that they were. They they had a huge impact on our lives. I think on a lot of our lives because we. A lot of us, uh, and, and maybe some of the you listeners out there too, are are old enough like me to remember when you came home and your parents actually weren't home, but you turned on the TV and then you watched some TV, you know, kind of that. And these uh, people were there spreading basically positive messages. You know, that's all it was is like these positive things, you know, whether it was on Reading Rainbow or Mr. Rogers Neighborhood or even Steve Irwin and his funny antics with animals and whatever might be. And obviously Bob Ross, um, it's, there's some positive things, obviously some things that are being taught. There's lessons. Sure. There's, there's even lessons. I, I remember that even in Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, there was a specific, uh, anecdote, something that was being taught, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if they're the greatest virtual teachers of all time. But I don't even know why we're getting so pissed off about dumb stuff again like this. It's it's kind of like the the uh, the Bitmoji classroom conversation. Yeah, it's just what we decided to get pissed off about this week. <laughs> yeah, really. It's again one of those distractions that's really getting us worked up, and we want to just get mad because teaching virtually is difficult. It is. And, is there? A- and, yeah, go ahead. Can we redefine, like, so uh, the word teacher. Yeah. As opposed to the word educator. Mm. Are those are those two different things? In in my mind, they are. Um, True. I, I refer to myself as an educator. Um, uh, but a lot of people can be teachers. True. And the word teacher isn't necessarily someone who teaches in a class or is an educator by trade or Fantastic profession. Fantastic points. Right? So, I love where you're headed with this. So I have no problem referring to these four folks and a bunch of other folks mm-hmm. as teachers. They definitely taught us things. Yes. Okay. Um, but they weren't professionally trained. No, they're not educators. They're not educators. I get okay. you. Okay. Yep. Um the people people who are offended by this or frustrated by this or mad at this are just having trouble you know with the feeling that they have to live up to the standard uh, that that they're not Bob Ross, Mr. Rogers, LeVar Burton or Irwin whatever his mm-hmm. first name is. I wasn't a I wasn't a fan of that guy. I didn't watch that show. <laughs> whatever his name what is his name? Steve, Steve Irwin. Irwin. Yep, yep. 
So, yeah, I and mean, you didn't have a television studio or a staff or assistance or a budget, you know, and all of that stuff. And certainly education budgets are slashed. So you even, you know, in the context of these people had like lots of money mm-hmm. in some cases to do their work as as teachers and you have very little money to do your work and certainly aren't getting paid very much in some cases to do it too um they're like you know what screw you <laughs> and i get that i get that but it, i i think that i think that the i think that the the images are being taken out of context mm-hmm. you know you know and uh, i mean just everyone is so raw right now I think that's and what it is. They, too. You know, it's only September and people are already <laughs> this angry. I don't know what's gonna happen later. <laughs> but it's so like so true. It's like you know the the reactions are just over the top. Mm-hmm. These were great teachers. Mm-hmm. We don't need to hold ourselves up to this standard, and they weren't educators. No. And I don't think anyone is saying like like this this image is dumb because it's 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 putting educator um you know work in the context of their roles and they weren't educators they're you know they're not in a classroom so you know it's it, it, you shouldn't compare Bob Ross, LeVar Burton, Steve Irwin and Mr. Rogers to what's happening right now. No. So it's a it's a dumb image yes the reactions are equally dumb yeah i mean it's a it's a interesting just the concept i mean just putting it there and them i mean ultimately these were and are tv personalities <laughs> oh yeah i, I mean i want to say so you know i want to say is like how can we trust tv personalities but we have a president that's a tv personality and obviously that's you know that's led him to be the actual president of the united states and he was a tv personality that's the best way you can actually put it and for us to i think we do this often too with people that are on television or on movies and we or even athletes you know that this happens all the time and i think we've had a similar conversation to this i don't know if on air or off air but when we want to attribute something that is in real life mike to these people that are living in, in a completely different separate entity and and their things that are going on either a are fake <laughs> which are most of the time or b they don't really they they have zero to do with our daily lives so we want to attribute these things like these great these awesome attributes whatever it might be the messages that were sent i th- i believe as far as on all of these shows were awesome were great positive things and 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 uplifting um, you know, uh, messages, but that doesn't mean that they were educators as you described, Mike. Yeah, it was a great mm-hmm. point there that they are great teachers because they are, are sending messages. And, and you know what? There could be teachers that send out evil things too. You know I mean? That's, it, it, you're still teaching things, whatever they might be. But in this case, they were very positive things, but they are TV personalities. So, you know, could they step into a classroom and teach your first graders or whatever it might be we won't never know for some of them because they're they're not here anymore obviously but why 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 are we even comparing that you know as yeah. far as to us it's more like hey you know what that's a interesting thing i did find it interesting though that this message specifically the one that we pulled has a a um, uh, educational entity it's the curriculum for agricultural science education which in that context that sucks I mean, if if that entity is putting this message out there as far as for educators, you know, that kind of thing, that, I don't know, that doesn't jive with me. But as far as the message itself, it's okay. And we can put a little like on it or just ignore it on our feeds and we don't have to get super enraged. Yeah, it's like we don't have to do the rage machine activate. And like, like, like this person, in. get out, get out Microsoft Paint. <laughs> Weapon of <laughs> weapon of choice, MS Paint. <laughs> no, big big, big red, red X. mark. <laughs> oh my god, that's it's just over the top. I love that you just said Microsoft Paint too. <laughs> <laughs> tool of choice. Speaking yes, of exa- tech tools, exactly, exactly. Um, 
it, you know, we saw a little bit of this in the spring, but I, I think I, I've seen it all. I've seen stuff like this a couple times already. Whether it's the the kid putting up a poster of himself in front of the Zoom camera <laughs> and then sleeping behind the poster. <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny or or this this article on on the verge mm-hmm. um which is, is a, a student who figured out how to figured first figured out that his high school teacher was using a software program to grade things so not yes. even reading you know the, the 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 content that their child the child was was creating and then learned how to game the algorithm in order to get perfect grades by um, determining the proper words that the system was looking for to indicate that you knew what was going on in whatever it is that you were reading. And then, um, you know, just word salad. They actually refer to it as a word yeah, salad. It's totally of all of is. these words. Um <laughs> You know, it's funny in the image um, in in the article at the very bottom. There's like two sentences, and then the 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 very last line is "profit diversity: Spain, Gaul, China, India, Africa," and it's like nailed it. <laughs> it's so funny. Like um, there are, there are there are situations, and I totally think this is one of them where you have to give kids credit. Absolutely. For for just like not only throwing their teachers under the bus, but like being so um smart to to figure out what the hell's going on and and play it. It's it's so funny. Yeah, so some of these auto graded um in this kind this case it's edgenuity, it's a website, a, a whole curriculum basically that you can you go ahead and use either for e-learning or distance learning or use it actually in your classroom is actually scanning the contents of a um open response question which already right there is like uh this is not going to be good but then it actually evaluates the contents in there and get assigns it a grade you know yeah and so this kid i thought it was it would have been something that would have happened you know could have happened to easily to our kids where they feel dejected, where you, you end up missing a couple and you get a 70%, you're at a C already. And you're like, I, what, you know, what just happened? No way I can ever get an A in the class. And again, just assigning that point value to that learning instead of just actually showing the learning and then having this AI read through that. But the best part was what you just described. Not only do they give the answers, but they figured out, let's pull every keyword yeah, yeah, yeah. from the reading and just put it right at the end with the word salad and, uh, and then make sure that it actually gives us the hundred percent. And they took good snippets of this. And, uh, I think the, the, the Twitter comment here was algorithm update. He cracked it. Yeah. <laughs> That Glenn, Glenn, there's also some solid nuggets of life lessons in this article. Um, yeah. And I know that there are some like um, listeners who are like pre-service teachers. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, friends, you still have some tests in your future, some essays to write. Um, <laughs> listen, life lesson from on education to, to you. Yes. Um, any good cheater doesn't aim for a perfect score. <laughs> you gotta so go for just that, remember like, that if you're, if you're gonna cheat percent yeah yes. you gotta you want to get on a roll but you don't want to be perfect because you, you don't want to raise the red flags so friends <laughs> just like you know 92 92 percent sometimes go that's get really, down to an 88 that's a really good grade <laughs> and and it won't raise any red flags you'll look wicked smart and uh and oh and you know so any life lessons friend that's you know you come for the deep educational content and you stay to learn how to cheat um <laughs> so that's the service that we offer here on oh on education God. um the bitmoji classroom is back in um back in our zeitgeist um i guess and um you know it's funny cuz it, it got brought up by Liz in the conversation too. yeah um so so you know i didn't i haven't read this article um because i just don't care anymore and my <laughs> my heart is dark 
yeah. for the Bitmoji classroom. <laughs> I'm just I'm just done with many things, and this is the thing I'm done with the most. Um, oh but gosh. like Edutopia weighs Ed- in on the Edutopia. Bitmoji classroom. Education oh, Week has weighed into it, uh, and then they basically are laying out the 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 conversation that we had last week, Mike. Where you know they're laying both sides of the conversation. Um, I think if you guys just listened, we didn't even prompt her. We thought it was awesome that she brought it up. We didn't, yeah. you know, we didn't say anything about it. We didn't even ask her a question, but she brought up the Bibboji classroom uh, just as far as working with her pre-service teachers. And you'll have to listen to what, what she thinks about it is um, as far as, you know, what her opinion is. But it's, it, it is interesting that this conversation has, has, has number one continued. And it'll be interesting to see where, like when it just dies off. And we should we should make a little note, you know. This was the day that Bitmoji Classroom was still very hot in the in the in the eyes of the education, you know, news world. And then it'll just slowly die off, and we won't even know what 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 were we even concerned about? Why were we even talking about this? In the end, <laughs> do this if you want. Again, like like this is like I, I don't give a damn. <laughs> make your Bitmoji Classroom, but please, please. Do not go and ask your instructional coach, Mm. your tech leads, your technology integration specialists for help. No. It's a waste of their time. (laughs) Yes. They have so many other things to do, including not dying. (laughs) Yes, that would be good. (laughs) Right? Don't bother them with the Bitmoji. Like, do it if you want. But... (sighs) You know, I, I saw, where did we see the, that a district made people come to like a, oh yeah, a, a training yes. session Professional on development it. session. And I'm like, this is, that's when it jumped the shark. Like, it's just, <laughs> no, <laughs> what a waste of everybody's time. Don't we have way more important things to do um, than talk about how to make like Bitmoji, like fancy you know, I don't know what this is. This is graphic design. That is total graphic design. That's, that's what all it reminds it me of. Mm-hmm. It's all and, it is. And, and that's I don't fine. know why this matters. Yeah, if, it's fine if you're into it. And then that's kind of like what you do, you know, as it, it, it fills some void or whatever might be or fills something where you're like, oh, this is cool. I actually am enjoying this time spending this. Fantastic. Don't let it get in the way, though, of the teaching and learning, number one. And, and don't... Expect yeah. someone to teach you how to do this. Come do on. it. Do it like you're watching Bob Ross. Mm-hmm. Right there, you go. Just do it. To, look at this full circle. Friends. Full circle. Right. This we start <laughs> and we end with Bob Ross. That there's no better way to do it. Listen, uh, do it if you want. Just don't bother Glenn with it, please. <laughs> he's got he's got way bigger things to do than <laughs> teach you, teach you. And he probably wouldn't know how to do it anyways. No, no, he, I hasn't, he hasn't bothered. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, And go watch Bob Ross. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk to Liz Kolb and the Bitmoji Classroom is going to come up again. So stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Liz Kolb is a clinical associate professor of education technologies at the University of Michigan. She teaches courses in education technology for the undergraduate elementary, undergraduate secondary, and master's and certification programs. She's the author of a number of books on the use of technology in the classroom, including Learning First Technology, Second in Practice, New Strategies, Research, and Tools for Student Success. And she joins us now. Welcome to On Education, Liz. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, Liz, I I just kind of gave the Coles notes of your background, but why don't you give us a bit of a longer story on who you are and and what you do and, uh, you know, what brought you to us uh, today? Sure. Well, I'm definitely an educator. I've been in education for over 20 years now. I started as a classroom teacher and... um, Honestly, because I knew how to use PowerPoint back in the 90s, I was promoted oh, yeah. to the <laughs> <Instantly> technology. promoted. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was honestly promoted to, you know, the technology coordinator because mm. I could use PowerPoint. And that's just kind of how it was back then. And 
I started to just learn on the job um, as I was teaching, you know, I was teaching and I was the technology coordinator because that's Mm -hmm. also how it was. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned a lot about the technical end of technology, but I really didn't know a lot about pedagogy and technology. I was just guessing a lot. I would Mm -hmm. go to conferences and see really cool, shiny new things and bring it back to my school. And I really thought that we should always be using the latest um, technology and whatever is emerging, but I really didn't have any pedagogy with it. And I thought that was the right thing for years. And then I got to the university level and started to realize that what I was doing with technology in the classroom and encouraging all my teachers to do was actually what the opposite of good um, practices around student learning. Mm. And it caused me to really take a pause and to research well, what does the research actually say about education, technology, and learning and best practice? Um, And what I started to realize was that a lot of that revolved around how students learn best and good pedagogy and things we knew as teachers and learned, but often we kind of throw out the window because um, we sometimes let the technology guide us more than what we know as experts around how students learn best. For example, things like, you know, being social and learning that you can't just stick a child in front of an app and think they're going to learn. We have to let them reflect and talk about it. Um, So some of those basics. And so I spent um, many years kind of researching how students learn and best practices with education technology. And I ended up developing a practitioner, a very simple practitioner framework called the Triple E Framework that I started to use with my um, pre-service teachers that I was teaching at the University of Michigan. And it kind of spiraled from there a little bit that in-service teachers got a hold of it and found it to be really useful to make sure that they weren't just using shiny new technology without purpose. And um, that kind of led me to um, putting together some of these books today. And I continue to work with hundreds of pre-service and in-service teachers every year on making sure that they are actually doing research-based approaches and strategies when they're integrating technology. So Liz, it's interesting that you said as far as that PowerPoint thing, you know, because we know, I mean, those of us that were around then, we know how long ago that actually was when that was the, the shiny new thing where it's like, if you know how to do that, that's, that's amazing. You know, you can start doing that as far as in your classes but I don't even know if we've actually moved that far, unfortunately, as far as in, in education, because I was, I, as I was writing this question up, I, I feel like um, educators, as you wrote in, and you were just saying, feel the need to use hardware and software because it's shiny or because it's new. Or in, in the case of this spring, and we talk about this a lot, because it was free, because someone was offering something to us, it felt like, oh, we have to go use that because that's the thing to do. Um, and there are a lot of technology integration frameworks that our listeners may already be aware of. So things like SAMR or TPAC. But can you tell us more about the Triple E framework and how it may be different or similar to, to those frameworks that, we're, that we've at least we've heard of? Whether or not we're applying any of those things, that's that's something else. Sure. So TPAC um, was definitely around long before my framework, and I had used it. So TPAC um, is really looking more, it's more of a theoretical framework and lens mm-hmm. for us to think about. We need to have technology knowledge and um, pedagogical knowledge and content knowledge all working together. And I thought it was a wonderful frame, and I still do, and I use it. But what I began to realize was with my teachers, they would often say, yeah, but what does that look like in practice? Like, what does that mean? How do I do that? That makes sense. And I realized that they needed something that really brought it to practice. So um, my framework really took the P in TPAC, the pedagogy, and really blew that up and said, well, what kind of pedagogy would we need around and within technology in order for technology to work well in our practice? And um, of course, there's tons of um, research on good pedagogy with teaching and learning. And it was just a matter of bringing forth that good pedagogy with technology. So the Triple E framework has nine questions and they're all kind of pedagogically based. 
Um, and they look at three areas with technology and learning. One area is engagement. So how are students engaging in the learning goals? And that's the emphasis is um, in the learning goal. So in the content, not just in the tool, because there's a difference between engaging in a tool and engaging in the content. Um, and then we look at enhancement and we look at how are the stu- how are how is the technology enhancing the student's learning experience? So adding support, scaffolds, adding value to what they may have done traditionally, um, getting students to those higher level thinking skills. How is the technology supporting that? And then finally, the last E that we look at is extension. And we look at how is the technology extending the student's learning to their everyday life and making their learning authentic. Mm. Um, And so those three E's really encompass good pedagogy with technology. And there's three questions, which I won't go through with each one, but there's three questions with each E that um, the uh, teachers can ask themselves around the lesson that they're designing to make sure that they're actually meeting those good pedagogical areas of, of teaching and learning. So the difference between that model, um, the Tripoli model, and something like a SAMR, which is also a, a practitioner framework, mm-hmm. um, or there's PICRAT and a few others, mm-hmm. um, the difference really comes down to the focus starts with the, the learning goals um, and not the technology tool of choice. So the focus really is around, you know, what is your goal? What is your outcome and your intended target? And I try not to convolute that with um how fancy are you using the technology? So sometimes in SAMR, um, people get caught up trying to get to that redefinition level, that that R level. Even though, you know, even though you know the creators of SAMR would say, "Oh no, it's not about getting to that level all the time." A lot of time, teachers look at it as though they have to get to mm-hmm. redefinition. But sometimes, if you're doing something um, fancy like making an iMovie, um, that may actually not be helping and supporting the students learning. They may end up focusing so much on making the iMovie and the bells and whistles of that, that yes, you've redefined the project, you move from a paper to a movie, but maybe you actually haven't um, uh, really enhanced or extended the learning. The learning. So, um, you know, so focused on making the movie that they forget what the movie's about. Sure. Right. We've all had that experience with students where they get so and they're loving it. They're having a great Mm -hmm. time. But when you say, can you tell me about those biomes? They'll kind of go, oh, but I can tell you all about how to make fast and slow motion. And sure, those soft skills are nice, but you really want to make sure that they're working with the learning outcome that you have. Mm. Um, So there are times that it makes sense to make a movie, but. There are also times where doing something at a lower level with technology actually is really beneficial to the learning. Um, so, for example, going back to the PowerPoint example, yes, we've all been in, seen PowerPoints where um, you're getting, you know, lecture to and you're falling asleep and it's not really doing a whole lot. People are just reading text on slides. But I've also seen teachers use PowerPoint in incredibly thoughtful ways. Um, I've seen um, teachers who have pictures on PowerPoints that have incredibly rich discussions and go into detail about them. And all they're using is just a teacher centered, you know, visual, but it's very effective because of the pedagogy that the teacher's using around the PowerPoint. So it's not the PowerPoint that's bad. It's the pedagogy that how the teacher is actually enacting it that can, can cause the uh, learning experience to not be so great. So I'd like to get away from this idea that, you know, um, certain tools, um, are better um, and really focus more on certain pedagogy around the tools are better choices to make. So I, I try in, in this model to not focus so much on the tool choice um, or how fancy you're using the tool, but rather the pedagogy you're using with the tool choice. Makes me think of like John, John, John Spike in Wisconsin who um, does uh, branching narrative games in google slides right i mean and it's like i it, it, my head exploded when he, when he tells me that he's using google slides to make game space learning narratives with branching narratives based on choice i mean in in slides which you know is is amazing it's a, it's a super good point a right. quick follow-up before mike you ask the next question um do you think, Liz, as far as in your experience over the number of years now, you know, from moving from an, as an educator to now 
being a professor and then even in the writing of these books that you've that you've written have we grown you know as far as at as far as a you know <laughs> united states educational or north american educational system cuz so often the questions that i'm answering at, in my local district and the things that i'm seeing discussed as far as on edu twitter is very tool centered very tool oriented versus learning outcome oriented you know it's it's this hyper focus on on that shiny thing or what it does you know that's fantastic um you know mike and i have brought it we you know we talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and all kinds of other things and tools you know we've been even ranked tools and what are top things whatever it might be you know because uh, those are think fun things to talk about and do but if we really get down serious and we mike and i have as far as on some of the topics we're just like how does each of these things actually connect to the, the learning should be the questions that people are asking by people. I mean, our educators, our administrators and everybody in the team. Do you think we've made some progress, you know, because <laughs> every time but, I see progress, I see like, Oh goodness. <laughs> I think that's a great question. And it's a fair question. You know, have we moved the needle as mm. far as trying to move away from always using the shiny tool um, to going deeper? I honestly think we have, um, are we where we should be? No, we, you know, we mm -hmm. definitely still have a tool centric focus. If you even look at university, you know, teacher prep classes for new yeah. teachers, a lot of times they are pretty tool centric and tools are, you, you need to know how to use tools. You need to know what's out there. Um, but, um, one of the things that has given me some hope is that, um, I have been contacted more in the last, I would say two years by, um, at school administrators, superintendents, principals who are coming to me and saying, we are realizing that we purchased, you know, a one to we purchased a one to one program and our teachers really don't have good pedagogy. Um, they don't understand actually how to use these tools to engage students in learning. They know how to use the tool, but they don't know how yeah. to engage students in learning. And we're realizing we're missing a framework. And one of the things I always say to my own students is, at the very least, have a framework. It doesn't have to be my framework. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not offended. It can be another, you know, research-based framework. But have something so that you know what good teaching and learning with technology should look like. Mm. And it is giving me hope that so many administrators are starting to see this. And we are seeing it a lot um, as schools are moving to one-to-one. Um, there's the excitement around one-to-one. -one, and then like a couple years in, they start to go, oh, we missed the pedagogy. We missed yes. the actual, you know, mm -hmm. how do we engage students? And, you know, during the, the pandemic and in the spring, um, you know, as, as you both mentioned, so many tech companies were saying, here's free. We'll give you our tool for free. Just start using it. And, and, and teachers were overwhelmed by that, just being thrown all these free tools and, one of the things that I just kept saying to the schools that I worked with was use what you already have and already know because you have good pedagogy. And even if the tools aren't great, even if they're not ideal, the fact that you know the tool and the students know the tool means that you can throw in your good pedagogy around the tool and make it something better for them mm. compared to trying to you know learn something from scratch that may or may not fit. It's funny, Liz, it's, it's 2020 and we're still building capacity. Um, you know, I've been going to tech conferences for the better part of well, over a decade almost. And we're st like talking. I'm not convinced we've moved the needle hardly at all. Like, you know, if you want a hot take for me, and I'm sure you don't, but, you know, that's what people listen to us for, I guess, sometimes. Um, you know, we're still like it's we're still building capacity. We're still getting administrators just to get it. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're 21, 20 years into 21st century skills. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, and, and it's, you brought up the pandemic and, uh, I wanted to ask you about that a little bit in the sense that, you know, we, we did go through this moment where teachers, like, I feel like we backslid, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, we just focused on what tools we had to use because 
that's, you know, it was like, what can I do for this? What can I do for this? What can I do for this? What tool can I use? Um, I, I, I knew tons of teachers that were just learning how to use a, an LMS, you know, so it had nothing to do with learning how to use the LMS for teaching and learning. It had everything to do with just learning how to use the damn LMS to post an assignment. Um, and, you know, that seems like we actually took a couple steps back. You know, I don't know if you a- agree, but but certainly it seems like this was a trying time for the idea of building capacity and um, pedagogical frameworks uh, for education. Um, this this put that kind of idea to the test, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, you bring up such good points and um, I can't disagree that the pandemic, the pandemics, you know, there's some silver linings in there, um, but there's also some some frustrations because there was an emphasis on the tools and there was a quick notice of how many educators just didn't have the knowledge around using the tools. So trying to quickly get them up to speed um, and, you know, some you know, fought against it for years. They were like, I'm a face-to-face teacher. I don't do this, you know, right? Um, and all of a sudden they have to take this crash course. Um, and there is still, you know, I think of the um, the Bitmoji classrooms really popular right now. Everybody yeah. wants to have their Bitmoji classroom. And it's yeah. cute and it's fun. But you know what? That's not what I want my teachers focusing on right now. I want them focusing on pedagogy and not spending five hours making a cute bitmoji. <laughs> oh God, Liz, I'm just, so glad. I'm so Liz, glad you fell on that that know, way. Like, know, thank, thank God, because we would have had to have a talk. Because we just <laughs> talked about this in, in a, a long segment last week. Are you <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, and I, I get how it's attractive, right? It's so cute mm. and fun. But you know what? Some of it actually goes against good learning practices, right? Mm. If you look at the Bitmoji classrooms, they're really overwhelming. They're yes. overstimulating. I think of my students on the autism spectrum. I think of my ADHD students. That's going to be too much for them. So, um, it, it, and again, they know that. As teachers, you know that your students with certain identified um, exceptionalities don't need overstimulation. But why yeah. are you creating an overstimulating environment for those students, um, because it looks cute and it's fun and everyone's talking about it. Um, so I, I am seeing I am seeing that during this time that there is this attraction to the cute, the fun, the shiny. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, it does still come down to the good pedagogy with it. Um, and uh, I have been trying to emphasize to schools that have come to me and said, well, how do you use the Tripoli framework if you're teaching remotely? And I kind of say the same way you use it when you're teaching face to face, you know, you, you still are, are, you know, getting students to a learning outcome. Right. And you're using technology tools to get there. So evaluate the tool choices you're making with the pedagogy around them and seeing if, if they're fitting and if it's working. Um, and I had to walk through it a little bit with teachers and they went, oh yeah, I do see that. Um, but also to your point, Mike, um, I did a survey um, before the pandemic. I was part of a, uh, a national survey where we surveyed um, uh, novice teachers and administrators kind of asking mm. how well they pre- prepared to teach with technology. And one of the most interesting parts of the survey was there was this huge huge um, discrepancy between how confident administrators were to evaluate teachers using technology. They were like 80% confident that they could do this well. Mm. And the teachers were 70% confident that the administrators had no idea what they were doing um, when it came to evaluating them using technology. (laughs) So yes, we, we see a lot of um, just kind of systematic breakdowns in the, in school systems where, um, a lot of administrators um, feel like they're more confident than they are with understanding, you know, looking in a classroom and thinking that if they're all using, you know, Chromebooks and they're making movies, then it's good. Mm. Yes. yes. Talking on, on that same topic, Liz, um, as far as systems, and I had said this kind of off air, that move in the – there's a move in the United States, and I can already kind of see it shifting, and it's been happening at least – the last three to four years, but now in the last one to two years, really a big shift. And I'm really happy about the shift happening, but people, I don't know if we kind of know how to make this, 
the shift and it's it's in the case of of we had five or six years ago the invention of a position called a technology integrationist and it was kind of coinciding and maybe it was even further longer ago than that where a lot of districts were going one-to-one and you needed someone to be able to basically teach how to use an lms how to how to turn on your your macbook and 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 then you know use the the uh, hotkeys and do some different things um and eventually that tech integrationist position i feel now six seven eight years down the road of a one-to-one program has outgrown that that purpose you know that thing that you don't need to be doing that those things any longer and maybe we shouldn't have been doing them in the first place and a lot of districts are transitioning to these to instructional coaches turning us into instructional coaches first do you do you see that as a movement number one and then number two how do we make that transition do you understand because what's happened a lot of a lot of districts are going yes we're going to rename your position from tech integrationist to instructional coach yet they don't offer the the training for us to become those people to become you know great at that because that's a completely different set of skills and knowledge and 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 i'm sure that that's exactly uh at, at your university level when you're teaching your courses that's the things that you're going over and talking about have to do with instruct great instructional practices related to both in person and virtual learning and blended and whatever else it might be so i don't know if there's a question in there as i usually do. <laughs> go crazy but do you see this shifting towards that and then what can we you know offer to our administrators for us that are kind of moving into those positions as far as what what do we do as far as the training for us yeah i'm actually i am i see that shift quite a bit um Hmm. and not even just for kind of the old tech coach or tech instructional specialist but also for the librarian the school librarian or media specialist all of us they went from a librarian to the media specialist, and now they're expected to be kind of the instructional designer, the instructional coaches. Yes. Um, in between, they were supposed to be kind of the tech support. Yes. But, you know, again, most of those programs didn't train them to do that kind of work. But so they're expected to kind of learn on the job and on the fly. And some do it better than others. Um, but yes, there's, there's not a lot of actual sound training. There's no certificate um, or required certification to do that kind of work in most states. There's definitely mm. not in the state of Michigan. Um, and so you can do that work with having very little knowledge about what you're doing, which means that you could end up being that, you know, instructional designer that is tool centric and yes. is having everyone do cahoots all day. Um, you could be that instructional designer that doesn't actually know the pedagogy of that particular field. Maybe you taught ELA and you're working with a math teacher. Yes. Um, and so it's putting you in positions where you're supposed to be an expert on something that maybe you don't really have expertise. You may have gotten that position because you use PowerPoint like I did. <laughs> or because you, you know made exactly iMovies yes. in your classroom <laughs> and they think you're techie or you're mm-hmm. the one who fixes the printers all the time for teachers. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we don't have a higher standard for that. Um, And I think the pandemics really brought out um, uh, the kind of the, the, the dearth or the holes that we have in this field. We're seeing one that we have a lot of digital divide homework gap issues um, that have always been there. And people like us have always said things about it, that this is a problem, but all of a sudden now people are taking it seriously Um, We've talked about how teachers really aren't well-trained to work with technology in the field and don't have instructional design or framework. And it was always dismissed. And now all of a sudden it's come to, you know, risen to the surface. And all of a sudden we're seeing teacher prep programs saying, oh, we need to add more credits in this. We need to really train teachers. We need to do this work. Um, So I think that is maybe a silver lining of the pandemic is that we will see a change in how teachers are prepared and what schools are emphasizing for their teacher professional development. And we may even see some new certification programs coming out of this. So Liz, in chapter five, 
of your new book, you have 12 lessons from K-12 educators. And at the top of each lesson, you include the demographics of the class used in the case study. I had a very long talk with my wife about this today. It was, I find it fascinating. Um, uh, context, other context, uh, I'm Canadian. Uh, and so in Canada, we do not have this like hard demographic focus in education like Americans do, where like there are administrators that could tell you the percentage of African-Americans, the percentage of Hispanics, um, you know, in their schools and know those numbers like off the top of their heads, um, the free and reduced lunches. They know these percentages. We don't we don't have a really strong focus on that in Canada. So I always find it fascinating when when these like overt overt demographics are, are brought into the context. So can you make a connection for our audience as to why that matters in the context of your lesson plans? What makes it important for us to know the percentage of students on free or reduced lunch or their ethnicity in the context of the lesson plans in your book? Mike, I'm so glad you asked this question. Nobody has ever asked me this question. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for noticing that. Um, so I, I can see how some might find it strange um, to include that. Um, but in our field, uh, I have always encountered a lot of people, uh, educators, who will say, well, we can't do that in my school because we have you know, too many children who are from low income and they won't be able to do that or they won't have access to that. Or we have you know, too many um, children who speak a different language. They're Hispanic or... Um, they speak Arabic. And, and so, you know, they wouldn't be able to do that. You could only do that in, you know, an affluent school. And of course, I understand where they're coming from. But I also wanted to push against those narratives. I wanted to show examples of teachers using technology in really deep ways and, and hitting all three of these E's and just kind of over the top. Um, who were doing it in all sorts of different environments and with um, different uh, demographics of students. Um, so I wanted to be able to show, you know, um, schools that were uh, Title I schools and they're doing these amazing um, projects. It doesn't necessarily mean the, again, the tech is shiny and amazing. It's not, their, not necessarily that they're using a bunch of robots and Sphero balls all day to learn math, but to show that this teacher is using this really high level, high expectation, challenging project um, in a, a school system that maybe has been written off to do something like that. Um, so it was important for me to push against that narrative and to make sure um, that we're seeing, uh, for example, one of the lessons is um, Sheila Orr, um, and she's a math teacher uh, from Lansing, Michigan, and she does social justice in her math. And her, and she's a white teacher um, in a, a, you know, she she's in a Title One school, and so she really pushes um, how you can use math to do social justice work, which I think is awesome. And I also think that that's something where um, uh, it's important to to show um, that she's doing this work in a space where um, she's working with students where this is really going to matter for them. Mm-hmm. And others can do the same thing. And here's one example. Here's her, you know, links to where she's getting some of these ideas. Um, so I, I think it. I think it's important to push against that narrative, especially in ed tech, where the idea is if you're affluent, then you can do these high level projects. But if you're not, then you can't. Fantastic. So, Liz, if people want to connect with you online, um, social media accounts, or also to be able to go ahead and find your book. Where can they go to, go to be able to do those things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my book is available on Amazon, um, Learning First Technology, Second in Practice. Um, it's also available through ISTE, ISTE.org is the publisher. Um, and for me, I work at a public university, so my email is publicly available um, to anyone who would like it. If you just type in Liz Kolb and the University of Michigan, you can grab my email. I'm on Twitter at L-K-O-L-B. Um, L. Kolb. Uh, you can follow me and tweet with me there too. I'm pretty active. Um, so yes, please feel free to connect. I would love to. 
Liz Cole, thanks so much for being on. Great. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.